Yes, welcome to Box Angeles. I'm Mike Box Elder, and this is my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. What I would also appreciate is if you go over to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. I'm trying to get 100,000 subscribers. I'm putting up full video episodes of every interview I'm doing up there. So go watch those videos. Subscribe. Go to boxangeles.com slash YouTube. It would mean the world to me. Share with a friend, too. There's a lot of uncertainty in the business right now so people can use this sort of insight from other people about the strikes and things like that so please share with a friend as well we've got a great episode this week i spoke with carl tart actor writer comedian carl wrote on shows like keenan brooklyn 99 mad tv he's been an actor on shows like grand crew superstore a ton of stuff he also does a improv everywhere ucb at, he used to do it at I.O., Dynasty Typewriter, Largo. He's on every podcast. He's a super funny dude. He actually talked about that in the interview, how podcasts and improv sort of are good for his mental health to perform. It's where he's mindful and locked in, and that was really fun to hear. He also talked about how he got his representation from a diversity showcase, how much he hates self-tapes. This is a really fun interview. You don't hear a lot of Carl outside of character, so it's good to just hear Carl be Carl and talk about his journey. Really great conversation. I love this guy. I think you're going to love him, too. Without further ado, I give you... My name is Carl Tart. Hey, Carl. Hi. We've known each other for a while. or yes. like I didn't know if you'd remember me, but... I remember you. We ran, we ran around I.O. for a while. I.O. West. The good old days. I was an intern at UCB. Yeah. On what night? Oh, let's see. I think it was Sunday nights. Yeah, so I had shitty jobs. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I did like a month at Franklin on Sunday, and then I was there right when Sunset opened, so I yeah. moved over to Sunset. And then we would have uh, ASCAT, ASCAT yes. on Sunday nights. Yes, yes, Sunset. yes. Yeah. So uh, it's, good to, it's good to officially meet you and shake your hand yes. and say hey, what up and chit-chat. Absolutely, man. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. I want to talk to you about a lot of stuff as it relates to the creative business. Mm -hmm. I find your career to be very enviable. Enviable? Yeah. I think you've had a very steady career at a young age. And I just wanted to ask you up top, when people ask you what you do, mm -hmm. because you're so diverse, you act, you write, you do voiceover, uh, comedy, improv, what do you say you do? Do you say a catch-all like comedian, or do you? is I there something it. you enjoy more than the other things? Well, that's a tough question, because I will admit, I still get a little bit, when people who aren't in the industry, or sometimes people who are in the industry, when they ask you that, and you go, well, I'm an actor, they immediately go, oh, okay, all right, <laughs> so is everybody, oh, so am I. And then, but then you feel like an asshole when you go, no, I'm actually working. And then they go, oh, so you think you're better than me? And it's like, so, you, so I just go, oh, I work in entertainment. I'm a writer. A writer always seems more, uh, I guess, feasible. Like, it, it seems more like, what's the word I'm looking for? The, it, it, it seems like they can go, oh, that's cool, yeah. as opposed to saying you're an actor, because everybody says they're an actor. Yeah. So I say that, but I just say, like, I work in entertainment. And if they ask, I'll say, I'm an actor and a writer, and, like, I do comedy as well. Is there one you specifically you think of yourself more as? I'd like to be called a comedian. I've always wanted to be called a comedian. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's from from a very young age when I I kind of knew this was what I wanted to do. Not in this capacity, but I was like, I want to do that. I remember when I was really, really little and I would be I had an older cousin who was like a sister to me and she's like ten years older than me. And so she would babysit because my grandma and my aunt, her mom, yeah, would go to the casino back home in Mississippi. And they would go like pretty much overnight or what felt okay. like overnight. They would be, it would be nighttime when they left. I remember my grandma waking me up and like, she, she couldn't carry me cause I was a big kid, but she would like wake me up and make me like walk out to the car 
and she would drive me to my cousin's house and my cousin would be frustrated. Like she would be at like a sleepover. Sure. And uh, she would be mad. Like, mom, I got to babysit. I'm at a sleepover there because we go into the casino. Yeah. They call it the boat because where I'm from, Biloxi, Mississippi. Uh, oh, you're from Biloxi? I'm from Pascagoula, Mississippi. But okay. I, the Biloxi is where the casinos where It's yep. like 30 minute, a 30 minute drive and 25, 30 minute drive. And they would go, we going to the boat and because they're all on barges yeah. on yep. the water. And so we go into the boat and you knew what that meant. I mean, they was going to the casino and they would be gone all night. My grandma would sit and play on those slots. My grandma would come back with big cups of nickels because she played on nickel machine. And I would go in there and take the nickels and go across the street to the bank that had a vending machine in the lobby and get snacks out of the vending That's machine. Hilarious. But my cousin, I'm, I'm going off the rails, but my cousin, when she would babysit me, I would go over to like her friend's house where she was at having a sleepover and they would be up in there watching like Def Comedy Jam. And I'm like oh, sure. four years old, four, five years old. These are like some of my first memories. And rem- I remember watching these, watching this show and not knowing what the hell was going on, but the energy was so electric. Yeah. And my cousins liked it. And then I might, you know, reenact something at that age that I saw on TV and they would Love that they would make me do it. Like when they would be all with their friends, they'd be like, "Oh, go do the do the thing from from yeah. Comedy Jam or from Comic View or something like that." They're pimping you out. Yeah, at a, at a young age, and and all the teenagers would laugh and stuff. And I was I like like that feeling. So of I course. knew then that I wanted to do that, but I was not a performative kid at the same time. So it was how like, so? I was shy. I'm, oh. I still have moments of like I'm still not a person who like. Walked into a room of strangers and is like, "All right, everybody, I'm here." Like, I'm not that. Dude. I'm shocked by that. Yeah, a lot of people are because they see me on stage, and I, I usually am over the top, and they, and they'll be like, shy. But then when people get to know me, they're like, "Oh yeah, he's not. He kind of sticks to himself." And not sticks to myself. I love my friends. I love being around my friends. And if I'm in a, if I'm comfortable in the room, we can all get our bits on and stuff. But I was battling against that. I didn't want nobody to know that that's what I wanted to do. Oh, yeah. It was something that I kept close to the chest. Sure. That I wanted to do that. And so as I got older, got I just loved it more and more and more. I watched everything comedy. Anything that was funny. I watched all the sitcoms. I watched uh of course SNL and Mad TV. Yep. Of course like all that so and all the stand ups. Like I watched every premium blend and all that stuff that used to be on Comedy Central. Yeah. Like I watched all that stuff. So you're just putting in your ten thousand hours early of research and seeing yeah. what spoke to you and what you liked and things like yeah. that. Yeah. I even went to the library and like re- like read books on like comedy history and sure. like that. And but I never told never told people that that's what I wanted so to do. So funny. And I kinda got to I was a I was voted like class clown in high school and stuff like that, but so I always was kind of known for being a bit of a, a jokester. Yeah. Uh, but I still that left that gave me like a a freedom to do it without saying this is what I want to pursue as a career. Got it. Because I was an athlete. Like I was like, that's what I want to be. I want. Oh. I want to be in the NBA or NFL. Okay. Like that's what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't want to be. I didn't want to tell people I wanted to be a comedian because I I just felt like as soon as I said that I wanted to do that, they go, you can't do that. <laughs> Like, More so you know, than being an athlete, though? It, it sounds crazy, right? Because <laughs> I literally could not be a professional athlete. Right. Like, I just wasn't good enough. I didn't have the intangibles. But I, that seemed more plausible to me. It's because I guess because that was what everybody was saying they wanted to do. Yeah. All my friends, we all hooped every day and wanted to be in the NBA. Right. So it, it was more, it was more feasible to say that that's what I wanted to do as a career path. 
but I think I knew that I was like, I'm going to try this at least one day, or I'll at least be able to be like the funniest guy on the basketball court. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> I saw a, a video recently about how like a lot of kids now don't know what they want to be when they grow up mm-hmm. and how that's bec- it's like. 5x what it was 20 years ago and how that's like worrisome because you can't put in like you got to do all that research looking at comedy watching it seeing what tastes and what spoke to you yeah and that's so valuable and such a help and such a leg up especially in a career like this I yeah think. yeah i i think these kids are i mean i sit and watch tiktok all day and i go <laughs> there's no way these kids know what they want to be when they grow up like what can you possibly say you want to be when you sit here and watch people do nothing yeah and an become influencer famous like i just I was on the the stairmaster at the gym today, and I was on TikTok. Nice flex. And, yeah, yeah, I was on I was using the stairmaster. No big deal. You don't strike me as a stairmaster guy. You strike me as a free weight guy. I am that too, but that, I gotta warm it up. I gotta warm it up. Uh, you got you always gotta warm it up. But I'm on the stairmaster, and I'm looking at TikTok, and this girl pops up that she makes two million dollars a year because people just watch her sleep. Oh, that's a gift. I, I mean, come on, man. She like, sleep really well. Yeah, no. And I'm like, what are you? What are you? And you know, she had a big ass. But I'm like, it it, it doesn't. She's wearing pajamas. Like it, like you just looking at her in her pajamas. I'm like, man, are people that like that's crazy? She it makes is crazy. Two million dollars last. She made two million dollars last year just turning on her. Turning on her Twitch as she's about to go to sleep. The, the worst part is it sort of desensitizes you to money, right? Like people see that and think it's easy to yeah. to make money, and it really desens. We everyone talks about millions of dollars, a million dollars, like it's tangible or something we could ever process. Like when mm-hmm. we're talking about, I don't know who just signed a big contract, somebody that just signed a four hundred million dollar contract. We talk about four hundred million dollars as if we can even think, think about, about yeah. that money and it's so <laughs> so mainstream it sort of desensitizes what we expect and our expectations yeah. real world expectations which yeah. isn't great i was just talking to my cousin uh to this morning about nelly sold half his catalog yeah, yeah i saw for that 50 million and yeah. i was like i'm sitting here acting like i hope to make 50 million dollars one day in my life but also at the same time feels a little low yeah because the person who's <laughs> the person who's buying that has Billions, yeah. But they could just be like, "Yeah, Nelly here, take fifty million, and now I own all your shit." Yeah, like that's kind of scary. <laughs> I'd at least be like, "Can I get a hundred? <laughs> you taking half my catalog?" So when you moved to LA, was that that was in high school ish? No, nah, that was uh, middle uh, late elementary school. Okay, so it was happenstance that you didn't move here to perform. It, it my was mom did. Oh, so yeah, my mom is an actor. Oh, I didn't know so that. She moved. She like went to college, and she had me pretty young. And she went to college and got her theater degree. And oh, that's amazing! Uh, moved out here to kind of you know get into the grind like most of our friends are. And, yeah. Uh, only difference was she had a kid, and my grandma, who I was living with, was she had started to show signs of like Alzheimer's. Oh. So I had to come out here with my mom at that point. I see. Yeah. And so, so yeah, oh, go ahead. No, that's it. So that had to help you too. Then, like, sort of, she could sort of show you the tr- the traps and the, and yeah. the mistakes and i kind of grew up in the business but again i saw her struggles and you know we all have seen it like imagine those days of where you know people are like they don't have any money to do anything and, yeah. they, and they they're not keeping a regular job or they waiting tables because they have to uh you know audition during the day or whatever and imagine doing that with a kid especially yeah. a kid that's like of age, yeah. Like I was like nine, eight, nine years old. Yeah, and we all resent the the 
unfortunately we resent the actors that bring their kids to the auditions yeah because they're making noise and distracting yeah and i wasn't that kid i was always well behaved and stuff and you know but it was it is that like when my mom's like i don't have i have to bring him with me i used to be in like casting director workshops and stuff and i used to either sit in the car and or i would go in and i remember the first i always think back to the first time i ever did improv was once I, this is crazy. You just brought made me remember this. My mom was in a casting director workshop or an acting class or something, and they were like, "Do you want to do a scene? Like, does your son want to do a scene?" Because I'm just kind of sitting in there, yeah. and, I'm just, and it was like, "Okay, we're gonna give you a scenario." And you know, this guy is coming up to you, and he's trying to get you to steal a bike for him, but you're like, and so it was a scene full of denials because I was just trying to like, <laughs> sure. you know, but. I'm thinking back to that, and I remember everybody laughing, and also people being like, "That was really good. That was so good. That's amazing." And the, the teacher gave me the note, like, "All oh, just don't turn your back to the audience." Sure. Like, because I guess I was like Stage turning my presence, back. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that was the note that I got. That's like, amazing. We can't we can't believe that you did that. Like that, but don't turn your back to the audience. So, I would be at that stuff with my mom. Yeah, you're just soaking up. it. You're just yeah. sponging all and this I stuff. And I did little. I did like background as a kid, and you know when you're a kid and you do backgrounds a little bit more like featured. So I was like, I was on like Malcolm in the Middle. And oh, the six, the pilot of Six Feet Under. People always, uh, people will be watching that show. Like, hey man, I was just rewatching Six Feet That's Under, funny. and there was this kid that popped up that looked like you. <laughs> I don't. I don't mean to be offensive. I don't mean to be like if that's not you. Like they get scared. Like that they're like that kid looks just like yeah. you. And I go, how dare you? How dare you? <laughs> but that yes, that is me. Uh, so if you're watching this, if you're watching a pilot of Six Feet Under at the very last, the very last image of that episode, that little kid is me. That's awesome. Yeah. So did did your mom find success? Is she working? Did she is she, she still in the business? She kind of is. She did for a while. She worked quite a bit in the nineties. Oh, good for and her! And then when SAG went on strike, she was also on maternity leave with my little brother at the same time. So okay. SAG went on strike in like two thousand, and it was a long strike. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that one. So we're hoping that that doesn't happen again. Mm, yeah, but uh, SAG went on strike for a really long time, and she was also on maternity leave. And that just kind of that was when like the landscape of TV changed, and like roles kind of disappeared for yeah. people in her demographic, like for black women. Like it was it was tough. It was real tough in the business and. You know, we had lost, she had lost a lot of money during that time because she wasn't really working and having the, you know, my brother. And so she just had to like go get like a regular job, yeah. which kind of, which bummed her out. But then she worked, you know, sporadically every now and then. And now she still works in production. She works, she does like a lot of second team stuff and a lot of award shows and things That's like great. that. That's great. Yeah. Very cool. So she's still in the business, but she, it, it isn't the career that she necessarily wanted to have. Yeah. But unfortunately, I mean, for the majority of people that enter this business, it's not going to yeah. be the career they they hope to have. So, when did you then stop being like I'm going to be an athlete to really focusing on comedy? I went to college for one year to play basketball at uh, New Mexico Highlands University. Okay, yeah, got cut. We had a terrible season. Everybody got cut. Everybody got sent home. Oh God, yeah, fire sale. Yeah, for a coach got fired. A new coach mm-hmm. came in, brought his own team. Okay, he gave us the opportunity to try out, and he was like, "Yep, yeah, no, you guys." out of here <laughs> like, yep. and so i was like okay i'm probably i'm not in the school yeah i don't want to go to college like if i'm not playing and if i get cut from this team chances are i'm not gonna play anywhere unless i go to juco and so in some you know 
one horse town in the middle of Kansas or something like that and play for like right. a junior college and be miserable while I'm out there right. and then maybe I can, you know, get an opportunity to play at a mid major or another D two or something like that. Like I had to come to the realization that was over. Yeah. As much as I didn't want it to be, it was done. Yeah. And so I came back home and I kind of had like a wandering around aimlessly year. I'm doing little odd jobs, working, trying to, you know, stay out of my mom's hair so she doesn't see me. And I started doing background again. And I was like, I kind of want to move up from this, you know. And I'm looking at these people who are on these shows. I was working on Greek and Glee. And I'm just like, I feel like I could do this. Yeah. And how do I do it? And I started doing, I, I went back to my old high school to like, coach basketball and put that in quotes because I wasn't I was just bored and just like let me go right kind of fill the time yeah and just kind of work out with the team you know uh and my counselor saw me one day and was like are you doing comedy yet and I'm like huh and she was like yeah you were always a pain in my ass that's what you wow. should be doing and I go what I, I don't I wasn't I'm not doing that like I don't but I, it kept kind of popping up where people be like, man, you should do comedy. You should yeah. Do and people say that to you. And then when you go, all right, you know what? I'm doing it. And they're like, you're not funny enough to do comedy. Like, because they, they're thinking about the people at that time. It's like 2009. Like, Cat Williams has got like eight specials out that are all being bootlegged. So everybody's seeing them. <laughs> Kevin Hart is like bubbling at that time. And they're like, you're not as good as those guys. But what they don't realize is that somebody, everybody's got to start somewhere. Somewhere, yeah, 100%. So I was. I, was, I didn't tell many people. I told like two people that I was like, I think I'm gonna try this and start doing open mics where oh, I could find okay. them at, like coffee shops and random comedy clubs. Comedy store had one. Yeah, that was like at five o'clock, so I didn't have to be 21 to get in or whatever. And I would I would do those, but I, I wasn't loving stand up. And somebody that was at the open mic told me like you should do you should try improv because they he like knew he was like you're making up everything you're saying you don't write the jokes that's now. funny and I go. <laughs> No, I don't write them down because I'll write them down and then immediately go. That's not that's not funny. Yeah, you'll second guess yourself. Yeah, and so I started making them up, and then you no, nobody gets laughs at open mics, but for a person like me who was like just starting, I was like, I'm not getting the laughs. I got to start figuring out a way to try to get laughs. And he saw. He's like, you should do improv. I was like, what is what is that? And he was like, you know, like whose line is it anyway? And I was like, oh, I didn't put two and two together. That, right. that was a thing. I didn't realize that doing just improv was a thing. Yeah. And I started doing research and I started seeing like, you know, you, you I'm Googling like how everybody got on SNL. Like my favorite. How did Will Ferrell get here? How did this person get how did this person get on Mad TV? How did this and I kept seeing this growling, second city, growling, second city. So I went to the Groundlings website, too expensive. And also I didn't really recognize any I was like, there's no I was like, black people don't do this. And cause there was like the Two names that I recognize from there, I mean, out of all the white people that I recognize, just from the history of comedy, but the two black people that I recognized were Daniel Gaither and Phil Lamar. Okay. And there was another black name on there named Jordan Black. And what's insane is that I know all these people now. <laughs> but at that time, I was like, oh, those two people were on, were on Mad TV. Right. And then I Googled the Jordan Black guy, and he had been a writer on SNL. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. But there were only three. I went to the Second City website. As soon as it popped up, it was like a college brochure that was like Edgar Blackman was on stage at the time. Oh, uh, Sam Richardson was on stage at the time. Uh, and then you went to, they had like a, a thing called Brown Co. that was like 
Christina Anthony and uh, Chris Red, I think, was around at that time, and like all these other people. And I was like, oh, snap. There like, you go. There it is. Like yeah. somebody looks like me doing this. And so I went, and also, Groundlings classes were like, $200 more than Second City class at that time. So I was like, that's going to be an easier sell to my mom because I need to, I need her to give me the money. And so I'm like, if I can get this, if I can get this class. And so I was about to turn 21. I was getting close to my birthday. And I was like, she was like, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, I want to take this improv class. And she was like, what? I've been trying to get you to do that. I was like, I don't need a lecture. Can you Can you pay for it? That's what I want for my birthday. That's yeah. all I'm asking for, and that's what and that would be my Christmas gift too. Like both of because oh, my, my birthday sure. is right by Christmas, and so she was like, "All right, fine. That's what you want." Like, and we signed up. She gave me her credit card, and I I called and signed up that day. That's and, amazing. And started the class. Started the class that day. Wow. And because uh, it was it was like the last day to sign. It was like classes started on December 16th, and I. And I called. It was December 16th. And yeah. I called and I was like, it was like 11 o'clock in the morning. Class was at like 3 o'clock. And I was like, hey, is there room in that 3 o'clock class? And the person who answered the phone was like, yeah, you want to you get in? And I was like, absolutely. That's very cool. And so I signed up that day. And that's when I started. And I went and I was like, I fell in love with it. It was immediately what the feeling that I got from basketball, but without all the toxicity of sports. Sure. Like nobody yelling at you, nobody demeaning you, nobody, you know, right. and, and I fell in love with it. They And I, I immediately was like, this is what I want to do. That's so cool. I didn't realize you started at Second City. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, that's where I started. Um, so then I assume it just snowballed there. You start doing IO, you start doing UCB and yeah. everything. When did you start acting or auditioning? When did you get a represent your first representation? And how I know, I know now you're rep by UTA and Odenkirk, so you got mm-hmm. really good reps now. Yeah. What was your first rep, and how did you come about that? Odenkirk was my first rep. Get out of town. Yeah, I was with them. I started with them, and that was two years in. I got put in the CBS Diversity Showcase. Ah, that makes sense. Okay. And they kept talking about you guys are all going to get repped. You all get managers. You all like if you have a good showcase. Like there's going to be people handing you cards after. They grabbed me a month before. Oh, wow. A month before the show. Because they had seen me do improv stuff. Yeah. Uh, this is back when they were coming to the improv show? Yeah. <laughs> I got a shout out to uh, Rachel Olson. Okay. Uh, who's who's really cool. Because she told my first manager, Brooke Popjoy, about me. Because like, we were doing shows at the Complex. And she was like, you sure. got to check this guy out. He's He's good. And I was like... So she she gets the credit for me meeting them. Rachel Olson does because I like we were doing shows on like Sunday nights. Yeah. At at do you remember Alex that that dude who was like he was an army vet and he used to run shows. No. Uh, he was a nice guy. I wonder how he's doing now. Hope he's okay. But every night, every Sunday night at the complex, because like during that t- that two years of me first starting between like twenty tw- like late two thousand nine and two thousand eleven, like I'm like doing every jam and indie show and everything I do. I'm just like fully immersing myself in the whole community and started coming to IO and hanging out because they had, you know, all the stages and it was cool to hang out in the bar and everything like we were talking about. And I was doing these shows and and she told us, so like a month and a half before the showcase, I got a call and Brooke was like, hey, do you want to do this thing? We have this thing called Young Storytellers and Young Storytellers is like where you go to elementary schools and help the kids. They write stories and you help them turn them into scripts. Oh, cool. And then you perform them like you, they. There's like you know, ten, fifteen like professional actors that come and perform 
in front of the whole school, in front of the kids. So these kids get to put up their plays and stuff. And it was really dope. And she was like, by the way, do you have representation? Uh, would you want to come in for a meeting? And I was like, oh, yeah. I don't have, I know I don't have representation. I would right. love to. Like, and so I went in and met with them. And, and, and she was at Odenkirk. Yeah, she was at Odenkirk at the time. And uh, Naomi wasn't really sold on me at the time. Oh, I, I interesting. Had, I had nothing. Like, yeah, I, I was going to say, you weren't auditioning or anything? Not at that Were point. you writing anything? No. Yeah, wow. No, just doing like just doing Second City stuff and doing the showcase. So almost completely a developmental yeah. sign. Yeah, it was I was only doing improv. Improv stuff. And I was making a name for myself in the improv community, but like that was it. That's all I had. And so uh they took me on as like a developmental client and then they didn't really know and then they came and saw Naomi came and saw me at the showcase and was like, Okay. Like, I get it now. Yeah. And because I had a good showcase, and that's when I really started auditioning, hit the ground. Like running because after that showcase, there's all these casting directors in the audience, and they want to see you. So like for like four months after that, it was audition. audition. I was auditioning like three times a week, which is like unheard of. Yeah, that's like, great. I had to like stop doing my day job, like switch it to nighttime, which yeah. interfered with my improv schedule. So that was tough. <laughs> but I had like switched the day job because I was like, I'm auditioning like all day. Yeah. Like and I and I didn't have a car, and that was before Uber and stuff. So I, I either like had to pray that my mom didn't have anything to do that day, or I was on the bus like. Going to Santa Monica, leaving Santa Monica, and coming to Hollywood and stuff like that. Getting them like I was like it, like being scared, but like, hey, can you? Is there a way I could change the time because I'm, I'm not gonna be able to do that. I have yeah. I got to be on the bus. I got like you know, I've, I had to call taxis sometimes, and I didn't have the money to do yeah. that. But that's really yeah. cool that um I feel, I moved here in late 2012, mm-hmm. and I feel like agents and managers had stopped seeing improv at that point because it was sort of like in that swell of so much improv. Yeah, so it's yeah. super cool that. Uh, she came and saw you or was aware of you from the community, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, yeah, the the fact that they took a chance on you, I think, was is really, really cool. Yeah. Did you, when you did the diversity showcase, is that sort of when, because I know you have to write and perform your own stuff, right? A lot of it. So is no. that sort of when you started writing? There were writers there. Oh, they had their own set yeah. of writers. You yeah. were just in an yeah. actor Who, group. And, and, and they were fighting to get sketches in. every. It was like SNL, basically, okay. like where every day they write something new. They write two or three sketches every day. They get them submitted to be Got read it. in front of the group. And they would come to you like 10 minutes before. So they would, like the person who was running were like, all right, so-and-so, your sketch is on deck. So you get pulled out of the room and you go rehearse it real quick. And, and they're like nervous Jeez. and like, you got to nail this part. You got to get this part. You got to get that. So that like gave me like great cold reading skills because oh, yeah. you had to be on from like, as soon as you read the sketch, you had to be, okay, here's the joke. So that made me kind of develop. I heard somebody on a podcast one time or something, or I was listening to an interview and somebody was like, I always nail my jokes. It might've been Will Ferrell or somebody. I can't remember who it was, but it was a person who I definitely looked up to comedically. And they were like, I always just make sure I nail the jokes in the script. Everything else will get said, right? but make sure you nail your jokes. So I would look at those people's sketches and every joke that, that I had in there, nail it. Yeah. And be off book with it. Know how I'm gonna time it out. Know how I'm gonna say it. And everything else, you know, I look down and read it. But but we did so many sketches. So I wasn't really writing at the time. But I was writing at Second City, like you know how they teach you how to do the reimprovisation. And I took sketch classes at Second City. Okay. Like, and so I took the late night writing class and stuff. But that wasn't how I got into it. Right. It was I got into it just by knowing formatting, and I auditioned for mad tv when they brought that back and i made it to like one of the later rounds but they didn't pick me and i got to uh they asked me if i wanted to write for the show and i submitted a sketch like pack oh wow yeah. that so you sort of backed into it like you auditioned for mad tv mm-hmm. and they 
were like this, and then you quickly went back and wrote your packet. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. And then you got that, right, for yeah, the whole season, it. right? Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah, that was my first writing job. And a, a few months before that, I my homeboy had gotten a job. He got staffed on this TV show called Survivor's Remorse, my homeboy Lamar. And so it, he was telling us, like, how much money he was making. We were like, man, maybe this <laughs> I never thought about being a writer, but that's a consistent check right now where it's like, you know, it was by this point I'm auditioning and I'm booking little co-stars and stuff, but right. that's few and far in between. I still got a job right. at this time. I'm 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 a bouncer at Barney's Beanery at this time. No way. Yeah. Which one? Burbank and Pasadena. Okay. Was that your last day job? Was a, yeah. being a bouncer at Barney's? Yeah. This was like 2015? 20, 2017. 20, yeah. Oh, you were working that? Wow. Yeah. This is what, see, like even me is shocked by that. And I shouldn't be like, so many people don't realize how little, as you allude to, co-stars pay. Like, especially with the writer's strike going on now, like you as an actor, you have to book 10 jobs in a year to survive yeah. at a minimum. Yeah. And like, it's hard enough to book one, yeah. let alone 10. So yeah, you were well sixteen actually. You were well into your career at that yeah, point. But I was still living at home. I could not afford to not yeah. live at home. I was lucky enough to I was surviving off of so we we skipped a, a big part, but like I went to Amsterdam for a year. Uh right, to do boom, boom Chicago. Chicago. But then when I came back from that, like I kind of hit the ground running, auditioning again still auditioning and, and being a little bit more confident. Because I was over there and doing comedy in front of a bunch of Europeans is insane. Yeah, and you, it really teaches you how to command a room and command a stage. I've heard and, that. Yeah, uh, because they don't get it; they don't know what the hell you're doing. Yeah, let's talk about that real quick. So, wh- who who saw you from Boomer Chicago? It's that one guy, right? I can't think of his name. Uh, Brendan Brendan from uh, from Ted Lasso. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that was him, really? Yeah. He, oh, funny. He, I didn't even put that together. Yeah. He, oh. he recommended me. And then, like, he saw you at Second City? I, I just kind of around. Yeah. I think maybe UCB at that time. Okay. Did you have any hesitancy about going to Boom Chicago? Absolutely. I know a lot of people really embrace it and it does a lot of good things, but mm-hmm. it's also uprooting six months of your life a while year. you're just starting to get the ground and you yeah. signed with a manager and it stuff. Was, it was a year. And, oh, yeah. Uh, even more so. And I, I had a. A lot of hesitancies about it, and uh, that's a whole different conversation. But like, definitely was ready to come home after that year. What? Oh, so did you enjoy it though? No, no, I didn't. Oh, tell home. me about that. No, tell me. Oh, wait, now this is good stuff. <laughs> or don't if you don't want to feel comfortable talking about it. Feel, uh, no, don't. I just, I just don't want to keep. I, I, I've talked about it a lot. Oh, okay. And I don't want to keep like trying rehashing. To that's fair. I, so all I have to say is this. I personally, this is not having nothing to do with anybody else's experience over there. I personally did not have a great time. I was I was very homesick. I was very depressed. I didn't fully get along with everybody I worked with. It was a it was a, a wild place to be due to other circumstances and everything. And and I was just like, this is not for me. That makes sense. I yeah. was just gonna reference the fact that you said you're sort of an introvert, right? Yeah. And so like going overseas for that amount of time can very can be so disoriented. Yeah, you know, I'm a imagine. homebody. Yeah. Like, I like it here. Yeah, I'm that a makes real sense. Patriot. Let me uh, <laughs> let me ask you about auditioning right away. So mm-hmm. I, I, and I'm gonna be projecting on you here a little bit. I find sometimes with auditioning it's 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 interesting for me in that I think we both are obviously comedy guys, but mm-hmm. our body types, we're kind of, uh, menacing isn't the right word, but we're we're big in stature, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you Did you find auditioning early on that you were getting more of those sort of dramatic roles 
And casting was reading you wrong, or from the jump, or is it mostly comedy? It was bit? mostly comedy from the beginning. Oh, I think because I was coming from Odenkirk, and they were like, "This is what Known he does. As the comedy this people. is what, yeah. yeah. So this is this is what he does. This is what he's gonna do." I was getting those roles, and like, it it, it was it was let I, I wasn't getting any drama really, unless it was like, "Oh, play a bouncer here," or yeah. "Play a football player here," and stuff like that. Like it it wasn't it wasn't much of that at all. It was mostly comedy stuff, and I would see. Wrote the people who ended up booking them usually were smaller than me because I mean who's it's not many people who is my size doing this especially like my build so like you know, you know you get big like huge fat guys but I'm not like a huge fat guy I'm you know? same I'm right yeah, in that yeah, sort of so, middle ground but it's like that like that dude's large and then you see him I, even when I would slate like sometimes they'd be like oh just are just like hey I'm called Tart I'm six foot two and I'm based in Los Angeles big guy like and of course I'm like way bigger now so luckily luckily I'm in a place where I've already established myself on television yeah but at that time I was still trying to get in there luckily there was always a cop role I know that's what I was gonna say you get a lot of cops Uh, yeah I got a lot of cops back in the day I was on a lot of cop shows lethal weapon uh what was the rush hour or whatever you know like always getting to come in and play a cop yeah it's funny because like I did an acting class or an audition specific class in I don't know March, mm-hmm. and the teacher had did not know me at all, and we started with drama. And the first class, she was like, "Mike, you're very big and intimidating, so you got to back it." And I think she was like, thought that's who I was the entire class, and yeah. I was like trying to be like, "No, I'm just a I'm just a teddy bear, yeah, yeah, yeah. who wants to make you laugh." Exactly. But like her first impression was so specific of me because I was big and intimidating and doing a dramatic role where I was raising my voice and I was trying to shed that the entire class and I just I felt like you could probably relate to that absolutely but, but, 100% yeah, 100% yeah. relate to that and just people would say that you're intimidating like especially like us bald with beards like people, people <laughs> top heavy say, bald yeah, with beards yeah. people would say like man hey man calm down like that's why I'm, I, I know that it's a different a different thing but when people when girls are like we're told to smile and i go you're not getting told to smile yeah. too. <laughs> like like people would just randomly like i'll be walking down the street minding my own business and people like damn big dog who you mad at <laughs> and i go i'm not mad at nobody man i'm just a large dude i know people just <laughs> point that out and, yeah. and like yeah it's really weird yeah it sucks oh man you man I am. I'm, I'm gonna get out your way like literally people in the grocery store like we'll just be on the same aisle or something like, oh man let me get out your way big man oh. it's like I'm not doing nothing to you yeah. like, but that's sort of the stuff we have to be aware of as actors you know what I mean it's like the first impression is such a big thing yeah. that so as hard as that is for us to embrace I feel like it, it, it yeah. could be good for us to be aware of that at least but I started you know I started to kind of embrace my own style too like i used to be like oh i'm worried about wearing jewelry or i wear a lot of hats like i love hats i love collecting them i love putting them on like at first it was like an insecurity about my hair loss but like now i just i just like no i think i look cool in them and like i I like so and but people kind of you know i was like no this is me like this is who i am i'm not the guy that you may be perceiving you should check your own shit before you so that's cool. Yeah, it it, it 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 was hard in the beginning, but you know, booking cop roles and and ha- getting enough tape where people go, oh, that guy's actually kind of funny. Like that was what kind of changed the tide of that. What has been like your darkest period of time? Like uh, how long between work or between jobs? Or my uh, well, I won't bring up the thing you just brought up, but <laughs> that was probably the darkest. Yeah, that that like that. But was, you were. 
I meant I meant like successfully wise, like oh, because um, that definitely was something else that you've talked about, probably depression wise or whatever, and yeah. homesick. But like, I mean, career business wise, has there been a run where you like auditioned for a few things and didn't book anything for six months, and suddenly we're like, maybe I need to get another day job or anything like that? Uh, I'm because not- it's easy for somebody <laughs> like me. I'm sorry to interrupt, yeah. to, nah. to sit back and be like, Carl's fucking crushing it. Yeah, but of course on your side. You, you you set a certain goal and you hit those expectations and the bar is always moving. Right now it's pretty tough. Yeah, if well, I'm yeah. honest, because we're going through this strike and also we got the news that my show got canceled. Yeah, I know. So, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no, it's I mean it's the business. We've all we've all been told no. We've all been on you know I've written on shows that have been canceled and stuff like that. But it, it felt different. Yeah, because that felt like oh okay cool I'm released from this I can go back to you know, but definitely I would say I left. Uh, I left Brooklyn Nine Nine. You're writing on Brooklyn. I was writing Nine-Nine. on Brooklyn Nine Nine, and I left Brooklyn Nine Nine June of 2018. Okay, and that experience was was an interesting one. It kind of put me in a different headspace as far as being in writers' rooms. I was just like, maybe that's not for me. I've done it. I've tried it. Oh, interesting. I I don't know if I want to do that again. And then the opportunity to write on Dave came up, the Little Dicky Show. Yep, and I ended up not getting that. And I was like, okay, I didn't get that. I didn't get that job. And, and I thought I had good meetings for it and everything. I didn't get that job. And then the opportunity to write on Keenan came up. And I felt good about that one as well. Had a good meeting, had a fun meeting. Thought I was like in there. And that show got put on hold for like a year. Oh, sure. During that year, I booked a pilot that we shot that didn't get picked up. But because I grew up so poor... I'm fairly good with money. Yeah. So I was coasting that year, but I will say that year I was auditioning for a lot of stuff and not booking. And then I booked that pilot and I didn't get, I didn't get like many co-stars that year or anything. And I didn't even realize it cause I was doing so much improv and I had like a, 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 a savings that I was just kind of chilling. Yeah. And I would do like, you know, you can always back it back then. I would always go back to how I was making money before I got that mad TV job was just like, you know, doing a video for funny or dot college humor. Right. They throw me 200 bucks, 250 bucks or whatever, and just kind of, you know, living off of that. Scrapping, yeah. But that year was was tough, I would say. Uh, it didn't put me in, in, a, in a bad headspace necessarily because I wasn't really thinking about it because I was still being creatively fulfilled, I right. guess, with improv and stuff. Uh, and then I ended up booking that pilot, so that helped me out once things started to get a little wild. But after that, before I knew it, that year had gone by, and Keenan started right and so i was able to join that right yeah that makes sense when you talk about improv like creatively fulfilling you how do you view podcasting and improv because you have a huge podcast as well mm-hmm. or multiple i guess yeah. you're always on other people's podcasts including mine boxangels.com <laughs> um how do you view that do you view that as sort of like a hobby do you view it as like a sort of creative playground to like mine ideas or what what's your approach to improv and podcasting so I was just talking to my friend about this the other day. I didn't realize how much I took improv for granted until we lost it for those yeah. uh, years during the pandemic. And now that we're, now that it's back and I'm back to like a like my old show load yeah. and stuff, I'm like having such a good time. It's the one place I can go and just like goof around my friends and and while also feeling like I'm doing something that's like, you know, the audience is there, the audiences are fun. It's fun every single time. Every single time I do it, it's fun. And I love it. So it is a hobby, even though they're paying now, but it ain't 
paid to like you know it ain't live off this pay but like it is a hobby but it's the most fun it's right. so fun right like and i love doing it like i absolutely love it i so i, I it is it, it is a hobby but i also look at it as work i prioritize it for sure like if i got an improv show like you know trying to date and stuff and they're like well, what are you doing this night what are you doing this? i got shows every night so and i don't want you to come to the shows necessarily <laughs> or you can come to the show because you know I'm, I'm in a place now with i've been doing it long enough now where i'm like i'm not embarrassed by it right like if it was you know 10 years ago i'd be like no don't come to the show yeah like, this is for me but like now i'm like yeah come to the show it's, there's gonna be a bunch of people there but like uh but i, I do prioritize that and maybe that's something I need to change. Well, I no. I, to me, it sounds like it's great for your mental health. It's almost huge, it like it's huge. centers you and, and yeah. brings you back to why you started doing this. Yeah. I'm not thinking so about I would nothing s- else when I'm on that stage. But what's going on on that stage? Nothing else in life. Yeah, you're being very mindful yeah. in that, at that moment. Yeah, yeah. So d- don't deprioritize <laughs> it. It sounds like it should be prioritized. Yeah, I prioritize it because it's it's really good for me. So I look at it as work. I do podcasting as well. Sometimes I get annoyed with podcasting, honestly. Because sometimes, because well, podcast fans only know you from that, only see you as that. Oh, interesting. And so they get a little weird with sometimes in the DMs or, you know, when they're talking about you or whatever. And like sometimes it's unavoidable to not, they don't, they don't see you as human all the time. Yeah. So sometimes it's unavoidable to see something that, that pisses you off or bums you out. I try yeah. not to search, to seek it out. I used to be like years ago, I used to look at the Reddit all the time and be mad at these fucking weirdos. <laughs> but now I'm like, I don't look at that stuff. I don't. I don't want to see it. I don't want to deal with it. Uh, but sometimes they'll tag you in something or DM you some wild shit and just like, oh, okay, now you, you know. But I, I do. I like doing live shows a lot more because yeah. people can actually see your humanity. Right on podcasts, people just hear you, and whether they love you or they hate you, they they just think of you as a voice. Right. So it's like, no, I'm a real person. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think about live streaming these these? these live shows now do you have an opinion on that like Which, dynasty typewriter live streams a lot of their shows oh i don't have an opinion i don't care Is no no nah, because i don't i don't know that it's happening <laughs> so like well i just like i guess like uh, i was talking about stephanie allen last week mm-hmm. and she was like uh there's the moment like you can't capture that sort of vibe in the room necessarily over a live stream and it yeah. kind of takes away from it mm-hmm. and some people tend to like pull back a little bit when it's streamed so i was just curious if you oh yeah been. no i don't i don't i don't think about it when they're doing it like i'll i literally will forget yeah that is happening. well you're so mindful and in the moment it sounds like it sounds like improv and performing is really healthy for you honestly <laughs> yeah i love it I it's love like it it's so like much. your flow state where you're just like locked in yeah it's like when i was playing basketball like it's like that it's like you're not thinking about nothing else yeah it's muscle memory and you're just yeah. sort of yeah. living that's great that's really cool yeah, you talked you talked about earlier about how like you're introverted and stuff do you find sometimes it's hard to flip that switch then if you go from being such a homebody to showing up at stage? No, because it, for me, what I learned over the pandemic was I'm an introverted extrovert. Okay. So, like, I thrive off of people. I do. Like, I'm never at home. Like, I main, I keep myself busy, hang, until, except for when it's time to go home and it's time to recharge. And it's, but that's, that's nighttime when I'm going to sleep or whatever, or, or on Sundays. When I've had a crazy week and a fun Saturday night, it's like this Sunday, I'm finna just chill. Yep. I'm finna eat something unhealthy and I'm finna, you know, <laughs> like chill out. I'm finna order myself a pizza and like, you know, chill out. Uh, so it's, it's not hard. It's, it's, it's more like, I think it's more in my own head because people don't see it. Like, just like you said, like, I will never guess that. People don't see it, but I see it. And I go like, oh, you know, I just like being around people. I can be in a room. If you threw a party in here, I could be chilling back here watching TV. But- 
I'm not gonna go home and do that, right? Because I'd be bored, right? I'm just I'm hearing the people's voices, you know what I'm saying? And then you know, go out and talk to a couple people, and then yeah. go back and be like, oh shit, Mike, you got PS5? Like, let's put it on, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, it's, I just like being around people, like so. I I don't have a, it ain't a switch that needs to be turned on anything. I'm 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 pretty the same. I do say when I'm on stage though, it gets bigger. Amped, yeah, yeah. I think we are very similar. Weirdly. Yeah. 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 Like everything you're saying relates to me. I, I like, I'm an extrovert. I get energy from people, but I do like to go home and eat some bad food and just have my me time. Yeah. So I'm curious this, does this ever happen to you where people, like if you are sort of maybe not down, but you're just sort of quiet in a moment, do mm. people ask you, what's, what's wrong, wrong, Carl? <laughs> I get that with you? so much. What do you mean? What's wrong with me? Nothing. I'm chilling. I'm just uh, taking a moment not to be high energy. Yeah, I'm in my mood, man. Chill. <laughs> Let me live. Happens to me all the yeah. time. What's wrong with you, man? And it's usually somebody who don't know you. Yeah. Like my like, so I get I get a lot of criticism because I be on my phone a lot. Addicted to it. Most of us are. Yeah. I, like I think it's weird for the people who aren't. Like that one friend that you have that you'll text. And they won't text back for three days. It's like, yeah. man, what were you doing? Yeah. Like, you definitely saw this. Yeah, 100%. yeah, exactly, exactly. But like, uh, and we all miss texts every now and then. But like, the the people who are like, oh, you're ba-, there's people who are bad on their phones and people who are good on their phones. Yeah, I'm definitely good on my phone to a to a bad like degree. Yeah, yeah. I will be. I'm the person who will be at a dinner table and be on TikTok and not even realize I'm doing it. Yeah. yeah. I want to see your screen time numbers. You oh, must man. be putting up NBA oh, level yeah, numbers yeah, yeah, on the yeah. screen I'm time. A, I'm in the Hall of Fame on the screen time. <laughs> uh, I'm in the Hall of Fame. Uh, I'm addicted to the screen. I, I will fully admit that. I'm not even. I used to be mad when people would say that, you know, because people would say that now. Like, like even when you're being present and you go, let me just check something real quick. Yeah. Wow, you really are addicted to your phones. Like, shut up, man. Get out of my business. I pay this bill. Yeah. But like, I need my dopamine. Everyone exactly. needs their dopamine. Yeah. yeah. You uh, talked about prioritizing improv. Do you sort of look at your time and manage it like at all like uh are you are you trying to write a certain amount every week are you trying to act a certain amount every week no no nah nah i I just kind of go day by day (laughs) yeah i i I need to like i'm about to go out of town for a long time starting this weekend and i'm gonna take my computer with me and i'm trying i I told myself that i was gonna knock out a sample while i'm gone because i'll have downtime like i'm gonna be in in dc in in a couple weeks and i'm gonna be there for the whole week doing yeah. shows so i'll have like all day and stuff to right. like chill in the hotel room and 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 knock out i said i'm gonna knock out another sample just for when the strike is over yeah i can maybe get in a, a writer's room if i need to or something like that but uh i don't prioritize the way i should i don't have like i don't write shit down i get in trouble for that all the time um, <laughs> it's not a bad thing i literally yeah. was talking to my therapist earlier today about this like I said I've been asking everybody on the podcast this because I think like I thrive when there's nothing on my calendar mm-hmm. or to do list. Yeah. So I like to get it done so mm-hmm. then I can just have a choose your own adventure in front of me. Yeah. Do you choose your own adventure though? Like do you because like when there's nothing on my calendar, I ain't doing nothing. Like I I get my work done. I am a I am people people look at me and they go, Man, you work so hard. Yeah. You're always doing shows. You're always doing these podcasts. You get your writing assignments done. You do this. You having this meeting. You take that. You go to the gym every day. You you do this thing. Like wh- what do you do in your off time? I go, I sit on the couch and put my phone on silent and throw it across the room that's, and watch Family Guy. But that's like, great. There's yeah. nothing wrong with yeah, that. It may be only be two and a half hours a day or three hours a day or whatever, but 
That's what I'm doing. Like, There's nothing wrong with that. I could that. be getting writing done during that time, but I don't feel like it. Right, but <laughs> if you're doing the tasks that you're supposed to be doing yeah. and getting them done, then that you're allowed to do yeah, that, right? Exactly. So that's kind of where I'm at too. I like to get it done. I like to edit my podcast, and then I'm like, okay, great, I did it. Now I have the next few days to be free and yeah. choose what I want to do. Yeah. Whether that's golf, plants. Do you write stuff down? As far as do you keep a planner? Uh yeah, I'm pretty uh, pretty good. I calendar and notes. Right, yeah. yeah, I don't do it. <laughs> I, 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 I it's all off the top of the dome. Do you keep notes on like acting and writing and like I have a spreadsheet of every audition I've ever done. No, hell no. I don't. I don't like journaling. <laughs> I don't I, like I, it either. But that's I, the only I, writing I do. I'm, I'm gonna start. I, I need to talk to my therapist about why I don't like to think about the past. <laughs> even though I do, I like to think about the good times in the past. Right. But I would never keep a. A log of all the auditions because that's just all those no's I ever got. Like, I don't want to see that. I don't care. I, I mean, I'll, I'll see it when I when it pops up on TV and I go, oh, I'll audition for that guy. <laughs> like, well, I do it for a few reasons. One is so I know who what casting directors are bringing me in. Okay, yeah. Uh, the other thing is this sort of be what we talked about earlier. See sort of what people are seeing me as, like mm-hmm. guard, plumber, 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 guard. Go, sort yeah, of yeah, to yeah. embrace that and and learn those pattern recognitions. Yeah. And I always, I used to not as much I still do it, but every audition I try to write down something I learned from that audition. Oh. Whether it's work on your eye lines or don't let a stutter slow you down or yeah, whatever. I try to learn something and then when I log it, I'm sort of letting it go is sort of my Ah, maybe I should do that. That's what they say journaling is you write it down and let it go. Right. But then Am I supposed to read back that? Like, I don't want to read back. <laughs> I, st- I started taking a journal. My homeboy, Kendall, bought me a journal when I went to Amsterdam. Yeah. And I started writing it down. I went through like a like a hardcore breakup right before. Oh, and sure. And then we, we still chatted for a couple months when I was over there. But then yeah. one day she just like cut me off cold oh. turkey and like never responded again. So I like was writing about that. I'm like, I don't want to read that stuff. I don't get like, why would I want to bring up that? I've worked like worked through that and gotten over it and like, you know. Why would I want to go back and go, oh, man, that was a rough day, and I was having a terrible day. Like, that sounds like a great movie, though. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I want my movies to be funny. My journal, though, is more notes, like minutes of the or sorry, minutes of the day, and it, it resolves a lot of disputes I have with my friends. Like, Interesting. what were we doing on this day at this time? And I was like, no, it's this, and I point to it. Oh, I just remember all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but everybody's memory is a little bit off. People get mad at me because mine is so good. Wow. Yeah, they go. I remember this. There's certain shit that's a really weird flex. But. Yeah, it's a weird flex, but it's but like it is for real. People be like, oh, I know Carla know this. I keep a lot of information uh, that people be like, oh, of course he remembers exactly how it is. And like, yeah, and I know that's awesome. Random facts and figures, and you know who won this and who lost that and stuff. So it's stupid. That's, it, it is a weird flex. It, it's, I'm not sitting here being like, no, I'm a genius. Post post pandemic, um, you talked about improv, but like, how are you with self tapes? Are you a, hate them? Yeah. So, are you struggling with hate that? What's em. the what's your struggling? Struggling with the self tapes. I now just go to my manager's office. I'm going. You know what? I'm just going to come over here. Like, I got to schedule. I got to schedule a day to like if it's due Wednesday at nine a.m. I'm gonna come Tuesday and let's just knock it out. And I don't like to do it a bunch of times. And I and my friends get mad at me. My my homeboy Peter, who's like such a dope actor. 
and like so good at coaching and everything. Sometimes he'll be like, my man, just come over. We'll work on it. We'll run it through it a few times. A few times. I'm doing this shit twice <laughs> and I'm done. I like I hate a self tape. I hate it. I this, wish these casting directors would get back in the damn office. Like I'm I we used to complain about driving to Santa Monica for a two forty five audition. I would kill to do that. You would now. kill to take the bus ninety yes. minutes yeah. to the <laughs> yes, west. Side. Exactly. Because I need I have a level of like presence that I need y'all to like experience. And self tape don't do that for me. Yeah. Like I just can't convey I don't know I don't know how to feed off of the energy in the room, you know? Like because there's a performative aspect to auditioning. Yeah. And when I'm doing it on 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 camera and I haven't been doing good with it. I haven't been booking nothing. Like the self tapes that I've had. Well, Grand Crew, did you that was in person. Oh that was really? Before the pandemic. Yeah. It was? Yeah. Oh wow. When we started the process of auditioning and stuff. I, I see. Right before. Okay. It was it was February. I see. Of twenty twenty. Got it. Yeah, it was literally a month before. Yeah. I do think you're right. There is something about that live audience. And even if they're not live, I point to this wall because this is my self-tape audition wall. Yeah. And I'm trying to hang it back. I just put it, I'm trying to make this way better for the same reasons you're saying. So you like, I'm trying light. to make yeah. it, I just hung that up last week. I'm trying to like make it more. Uh, I use a TV dinner tray and like four shoe boxes. Yes, exactly. And I put the, and I <laughs> lean the phone right there and I just go, this is so Stupid. I did buy I did nobody buy, has I space. Buy, nobody has space for this. And then they give and also they're giving you like twelve pages. <laughs> well, you're getting better auditions than me, but Dude. mine are like one page. But it's funny, Will Hines a couple weeks ago said the same thing on the podcast. He yeah. was like, I gotta fucking destroy my apartment to set up the self tape. <laughs> it sucks, man. And and you know and, and like y'all ain't afraid of COVID no more. Enough to not go back in the office. Y'all just don't want to go back in the office. Is you they have I found think- that it's easier for them. And sorry to the casting directors who are listening to this. If you listen to this, yes, I'm upset. Well, I'm going to defend the casting because I've interviewed a number of them. I think a lot of it is like the production, right? So I just interviewed Gianna Butler who did like Blackish and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. They had a lot on Fox. Uh, No, no, not Fox. Uh, Disney. Mm -hmm. Whatever the one is. Yeah, Disney. I think it's Disney. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, ABC Disney. Yes, ABC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a a spot. I had gone to it, but... They took them out during COVID, and then they were like, oh, you've been fine without it. We're not going to give it back to you. And they're like not happy about that. They want a space, too. Yeah. So I think a lot of them, it's not by their choice. They got to buy that office. This shit sucks. I hate self-tape so much. And I've turned down auditions that I feel bad. Like, that's, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to. I'm not like trying to. When I do that, I'm not trying to flex status or anything it was like you give me two days to do 12 pages that's a lot yeah. i don't have time for this yeah like because at least when i go into the room i can kind of be on kind of be on book but and they tell you now like it's okay you don't have to be completely off book on yourself today but it doesn't look good i've watched myself yeah. i've watched back at myself reading while i'm doing I'm going, i wouldn't cast me right like so i know that they're thinking that because I'm looking at myself and I'm not giving, and, and so I like will then like do it again and go, all right, let me just do it again. Let me just try my best. And then, you know, we found the, the teleprompter app, which is great. And then you get a call back and you're like, <laughs> I actually don't, yeah. You don't like teleprompter? Well, I find, I don't like not being off book, to your point. Like, yeah. I always, if I'm, they want you to hold the sides, I know, because they want to be comfortable that you're not going to forget it. But I find like, even in commercial auditions, when I have a board, I'm 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 immediately it's like it's a crutch. That board is and the crutch like yeah. fucks me up out of my. Ri- I'd rather yeah. improv and hit the beats exactly than <laughs> commercial auditions. Look at stuff. Commercial auditions are funny like that because <laughs> you'd be like, wait, what? Because they the way they the way they give the explanation. Also, the to the dudes who give the explanations, 
I know most of y'all. Some of you, some of you are in, in, in improv. Oh yeah. Like when you give the explanation, and they're usually cooler with with me, but I be feeling bad for like some of the other people because they're like they be like there's one guy who it was that office that used to be at uh like on Ventura in that little strip mall, yes. like Zydeco oh. Productions or whatever it was yeah. called. That guy would just be like, okay. Because he's tired and he's had to explain <laughs> yeah. it a bunch of times. It's like, man, I'm sorry. That's the job. Yeah. All right. You come in. Do this. Got it. Got it. All right. Stage name. I just said. It's like, man, I didn't hear you. Like, and I don't want to ask you. It feels like you're like talking to like, you remember you played sports, right? Oh, yeah. When, when your coach explains something real quick. And you like, expects well, you to get it. I don't it, want yeah. to be the person that doesn't know this. Right. So let me try to find my way through it. And then now, now coach is like, Beep. everybody on the sideline. If y'all not going to pay attention, we're going to run. And it's like, God damn it. Like, you didn't give a good enough explanation. So it's like, that's what it feels like sometimes in yeah. commercial auditions. I mean, I've, I've walked into commercial auditions and not done bad, but like felt like I pissed the guy off so much that like, yeah. like I was like, oh, this dude's pissed at me. He is upset. Yeah. <sighs> Thanks, Carl. But but like, you damn. would rather have that than do a self tape that you're disappointed in. Well, I never felt that way in in theatrical auditions. Oh, I see. Never felt that way. Even when I messed up. I know when I messed up in theatrical auditions. I know when I can't like there have been times where I'm like, I worked on this, I'm off book, and I just there's one line that just keeps tripping me up. And I go, I'm sorry, can I take that back? Do it. I'm sorry. I, I don't know what's going on. Uh let me just get through it. And they go, it's okay. Take your time. You can read yeah, it. Yeah, they're like, much more sweet. Yeah. yeah, it's like now I'm like, fuck, like it's over, guys. Did you they, book many commercials? Never. Really? Yeah, I've never. You seem like a perfect commercial actor. I've to me. never booked a commercial. I've never been more aware of the way I look than with commercials because oh, it yeah. feels like, oh, you guys don't want me to sell anything for you. I'm too big. I'm bald. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm, I am willing to shave. I always say that. <laughs> I. I I have never booked commercials. The, never the, one. I got close this year because they like. I had a friend who's a who's a commercial agent. I have a friend who's a commercial agent who like she doesn't rep me, but she's like, I think you'd be great for this. Yeah, and I made it. It, it came down to like me and one other guy, and he booked it. And he's much smaller than me. Yeah, and he went in like he walked in. I had my like I had to like go like get my commercial fit, which was just like I because I don't do commercial auditions, so it was just like a pair of jeans and like a like a, a Canadian tuxedo, like a denim shirt, <laughs> with a pair of jeans and like some chucks. And I'm going in hatless, which you know I don't. And I just am. Then sometimes you see that picture that they take of you, and it's like I wouldn't book that guy. <laughs> I look fucking terrible in that picture. Like tell me I look bad, like. Uh, but he ended. Up, he walked in, and he's a buddy of mine. Shout out to Sean Brown, the Corona Premiere commercial. And it was me and him, and uh, he walked in with like this crazy suit on, like this like red and black suit, and he was had his hair cut wow. perfectly. And, you know, he's a smaller guy than I am, we're in really great shape and stuff. And I was just like, yeah, that's who you want selling your light calorie beer. You don't want the big ass <laughs> dude who's like, I don't drink this bullshit. I drink heavy beers, but like. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, I, I did good in the audition. But I was just like, man, I hate commercial auditions. They never like, yeah. At least in TV, I have carved out a space. We, what we were talking about earlier, I guess this is the more concise answer. I've been lucky enough to carve out a space where my size, I get booked in spite of what I look like. Right. Physically. They just go, oh, he's just good at what he does. Yeah. Commercials look still matter so much because you're selling a product. Yeah. I'm going. I hope to get a spokesperson deal one day where I can kind of be myself, like how to how like Pete Davidson is doing Taco Bell and all right. this shit now. 
I'd love to do that. But as far as just like cold turkey booking commercials or like cold cold whatever, like just just booking a commercial, I have never. Do I've you never audition gotten, regularly for commercials? No, I stopped. Oh, you asked him to stop submitting yeah. you. I was like, don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Really? Just because it was just so painful for yeah. you? Yeah. It was like, it, it was just like, I never booked. Get on a veil. And then, oh, the even worse is when you go in for a commercial audition and, and they say, oh, and you can be liberal with the lines and feel free to improvise and stuff. And you improvise and then you see the commercial on TV and the guy that's doing it is doing your lines. Yeah. It's like, I improvised that. Yeah. I said that. And, and, no, nobody else could have said that. He wasn't in the room with me. Yeah, they told him to say that. They put that on that board yeah. that you don't like looking at. Like, so it, I'm Carl Tart, and I love yeah, light beer. Yeah, What's up? Yeah, hey, Carl hey, man, that ain't me. So yeah, it, it it that it just got to a point where I was just like, this is a waste of my time. Yeah, it wasn't like so painful that I was like going into a depressive state about it. It just felt like such a huge waste Hop. of my time when I was not booking, and so I would only go in when they would go, "You are you've been requested by the director." Yeah, somebody saw you, and then it'll be a director that like maybe saw me on an improv show or something like that. Do you know who Dan Gill is? Dan Gill. He's a he's a tall white dude, and he is in every commercial. And I had him on the podcast a long time ago, and he got brought in for a commercial that was a Dan Gill type. Yeah, and he didn't book didn't it. Didn't book it. Yeah. Echo used to they used to have an echo all the time. Echo Kellum, yeah. I would go in for auditions and it would be like Echo Kellum type. That's Remember hilarious. that year where Echo booked like a thousand commercials? Yes. Right before he got Ben and Kate, right yes. before he blew. Lamorne too. Lamorne, Echo, like my generation, people that we had to like match up to was Echo, Lamorne Morris, and Damon Wayans Jr. Sure. That was what all the auditions said. We want that type. Yeah. So Hopefully that's my my name in the breakdowns now. Soon, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So at at its peak, how many like? I, obviously now you're not auditioning a lot because of the strikes and everything. But like, what was like a good audition number for you in a week or a month? At its peak, I mean, I was or, like, after I, after I did the showcase like that three times three times a week. That was the peak. Yeah, yeah, that's the most I've ever you know. What's like an average month for you? Because I always wonder like what how often people are actually going out. Before I got Grand Crew, it was once or twice a week. Okay. That's great. Yeah. I when, when it's when it, when the season's real because now, you know, TV the T V landscape is different. So back in the day, like during pilot season, like, you know, you audition for all those right. pilots and hopefully you get callbacks and producer sessions and stuff like that. But I would say before I got Grand Crew when I was still like, you know, when I fir- when I first Became like a guy that they could rely on, but still hadn't booked anything yet. I was auditioning once, one to two times a week. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's really great. I, I I'm at the point now where I'm getting like one a month, and I'm jazzed. I'm yeah, like, I mean, so hyped that I'm getting one a month. At this currently right now, that's that's the norm, and right now there's none. But I would say before when I wasn't writing, and I was just auditioning. Yeah, it was it was one once or twice a week, or maybe like I would have two one week, and then none the next week, and then one that next week, and then none for two weeks, and right? Then two the week after that, you know. So it was it was, yeah. it was, but yeah, I was in a in a decent place, uh, but I would take myself away. You got to remember, like between twenty September twenty sixteen when I first got Mad TV and June twenty eighteen, I was out of the audition game. Basically all together because I was just staffing that whole time. 
I was just going to ask that before you even said that. So when you're a staff writer, you're not allowed to audition or you're not supposed to? You're not allowed to. Okay. You're under contract. So oh, the interesting. Boss is like, no, you're not an actor right now. You're a writer right yeah. now. Yeah. Sometimes you get a nice person that's like, yeah, if you got to audition, let me know. Because sometimes the, the, the showrunner it will say like, oh, I hired a room full of people who I know are also actors. Yeah. So I know that these are going to come up. But yeah, you don't audition. And my my reps would still send me auditions. And I go, hey, I don't want to ask my boss right. to let me out because I've seen him. I saw him eat somebody like a person who was way higher status in the room than me who also had more acting credits than me was like hey man i got offered a part on this show can i go film it for two days next week and the boss was like uh let me think about it and then like came back and like had a talk with him of like all right it's cool this one time but let's not make it a habit wow so they're strong. They're serious about that because especially for that. for that person, he was a co EP in the room. So that so the showrunner's logic was like, I need you in here because hmm. you're like my one of my right hand guys. Because the co EPs in the room are the people who right. really are doing the most heavy lifting when it comes to writing the, the right. scripts. And so he, but I, I just I I couldn't understand why he was so upset about. It's just two days. Yeah, that's it's like a Thursday cr- and crazy. Friday, and one of those days maybe a half day, a, so I can come in like yeah. after. Could be sick for two days too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You wouldn't even I mean, know. And now you know being sick is a real excuse, but before that it wasn't. Like, yeah, yeah. Now if you're sick, everybody's like, stay home. Yeah, you're in the WGA, right? Yeah. Uh, what? What are you? How, how's the strike going for you? I mean, poorly. Yeah. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> I wish it wasn't happening. Yeah, and now you're gonna get double duty strike. It seems like. Hopefully not. Oh. I mean, I don't know, man. I, I I think the actor striking will cause them to speed up a little bit, yeah, maybe. Hopefully. hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. But if it doesn't, because it doesn't seem like they're budging right now for WGA. They're like, we don't give a shit about y'all. Oh, it's so crazy. Yeah, so the, top, crazy. the top guys are not giving a dog shit about the writers. Okay, I just realized we're at an hour, and I'm trying to keep these, this new version of this podcast to an hour. But the last question I've been asking, and you kind of touched on this earlier, but I'm curious if you have a different answer. Has anyone taken a chance on you that you really remember and appreciate? Oh, there's been a lot. Uh, I would say Brooke at Odenkirk. Right. That was the one that that came up earlier. I would say the CBS Diversity Showcase. Oh, sure. I was was one of the later people that that, that came in to audition. I even though I was supposed to be what breaks people, they were still picking people who had more credits and who were. I was a young person in there. I hadn't like m- like made a real big stamp in the improv community yet. There were a couple people there who vouched for me and who was like, "No, that guy's really funny." Uh, I did a good audition. They were like, "Yeah, we'll bring you in," but they they let me know for sure. They were just like, "You were one of the late additions, so yeah, like we'll see how you do in this." Because do you remember their names? Uh, yeah, uh, Fern Ornstein. Okay. And Rick Nahara. Do you still keep in touch with them? No, <laughs> they were like they got in trouble with the showcase because it was it was pretty problematic. Oh shit! Yeah, that showcase oh, was wild. <laughs> but she was she was a casting person, like an old school casting person. She was real big on type. I see. And everything was type, and so she couldn't. She was just like, I guess I guess he's in the first day. Everybody got up. And kind of did like a little version of what their audition was and the character that they auditioned with and stuff like that. And I got up and I did my stuff. And she kind of went around the room and was like, this guy's kind of just like, he's kind of like your every man. I don't know what he brings like this. Like, I don't know what he, what he does. Like, he doesn't have like a, because 
there was another black dude in the show and he was British and I'm like, this is your upstanding black, you know, like, yeah. dude, but with me, she was like, I guess, you know, if you guys have side characters like uh, a plumber or this or that and, huh. and then I started killing it and every, because I just had the timing. I knew how to time out jokes. Right. I knew how to make sure I said them the way people w- would laugh at them and that's when it changed for me and they were like, oh, wait, he's actually really funny. I was like, yeah, I'm, I, I transcend type yeah hell yeah like what i what i look like is not indicative of what i bring to yeah. the show and that's why i ended up having a pretty good showcase that's amazing especially you were doing it with those side characters yeah that's great like and, that and, and, no I, it started with that and then they, people started right. writing me as the main character that's the awesome. sketch just because they knew and what it was there was a moment in the show where in in the process of making the show because it culminates in a sketch show right and it was a process where everybody's putting up sketches and I became like the, the go-to guy because they were like, I just need this sketch. Oh, hell yeah. They would come to me and go, hey man, I just need you to kill this and you might end up getting replaced in it, but I I need this sketch to get in the show. So I know you're going to That's awesome. kill it. And I'm going, yeah, that's cool. I'll be the, I'll be the Swiss Army knife. That's fair. I'll cool. be the positionless player on the court. Like, I'm going to shoot. If you need me to shoot this game, I'm going to shoot. If you need me to defend this game, I'm going to defend. Rebound. Like, whatever it is. I'm I'm gonna be the positionless Swiss Army knife guy for this show because she said that I didn't have a type and I, you're right I don't have a type so you want to say every man as an insult I'm gonna make every man a a a compliment yeah and uh yeah I just they relied on me some people weren't good cold readers some people only did the thing that they did and they're very talented people in this show but some people couldn't do this some people couldn't do that I could do it all. You need me to be a straight guy in this sketch. I'm I'm the voice of reason. You need me to be the wild and goofy character. I'm the wild and goofy character. Whatever it, whatever you need, I'm gonna do. And people start using me so much that I had like when they went down the list of like, because they would do like this like it would be like a big production when they would go, this sketch is in the show. Like this one's good. Yeah. Sometimes they go put that in the pile of like we'll redo it. That's a rewrite. This one's a rewrite. This one's a rewrite. This one's a rewrite. This sketch in the show. I was in most of those. That's awesome. And they were like, we got to cut him out of some of these sketches. And at first, I mean, I'm young. I'm like 23. I'm like, what you mean cut me out? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and and they were like, no, because they're going to get tired of you. The audience will get tired right. of seeing you. And I go, damn, that's a that's a thing where they have fatigue. Yeah. Like, they're they're, they're going to get Carl fatigue. So you don't want to be in everything. You want to be in that- four bangers spread out throughout the show. Yeah, where they're like, "What happened to that guy? I want to see that guy again. I want to see that guy again." And so that's what ended up happening. I yeah. was in like five sketches. I opened up the show where like they made me rap at the beginning of the show, and I'm not a rapper, uh, but the rap I got to do like a little kind of stand up bit with the rap that people liked, and then I came back like two sketches later and had like a small part in the sketch where I just had like two jokes. Off two sketches, came back, had one that was like my big, you know. My coming out party sketch yeah. came back. Did another one that was kind of focused on me. Came back another one that I was just a side character, but I had a bunch of jokes in, and that was it. And the whole show and people were like, "Man, you were so good. You were so that's good. awesome." And I was like, "Oh, that's dope." So they took a chance on me, but it was a chance of them being like, "You better wow me." Yeah, and, and you of, rose to the challenge. Yeah. yeah, that's so cool. That's very cool. Yeah, I think I it's mean, a anything NBC taking a chance on me with Grand Crew at like. Giving giving me the opportunity to like be a, a series regular, a lead in a show, and I hadn't had that yet, and that's that kind of gave me the stamp of approval. And now 
I mean, it sucks that it's that it ended during a strike because I'm not able to ride that momentum currently. Yeah. But that's why I'm doing so many live shows. Right. And people are coming out to see live shows, especially during the strike. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, I stay in people's minds. Yeah. I like that question because I like to know that people are looking out for people and giving people opportunities. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and it's also, I, I mean, you know, I I say Phil Augusta Jackson too. Even oh, I love Phil. I don't, I don't want people to think that I didn't earn the job, but I'm sure he probably told NBC like he's the guy that I want. Feels great. Feels yeah. But NBC was like, well, he still got an audition. I auditioned for the show four times. People think because sometimes people like minimize your accomplishments. I know. Like, oh well, yeah, Phil, your best friend wrote the show, so of course you're gonna get it. No, no, it's not true. Definitely not. No. <laughs> That's Producers not, was, like to see everything. Yeah, it's so annoying. There yeah. was two other guys. The two guys that I tested with were two guys who I've been watching on television. Oh wow! For years, yeah. A dude who books a ton. Yeah. I walked in and saw him, and immediately was like, "Nope," because <laughs> he's got the credits. NBC could easily say, "Yeah, we like Carl. He was he was cool, but this guy's got the experience. Right. He knows right. what he's doing. He's a, now they always talk about experience. Yeah. This shit is so much like sports, where it's like, well, we're gonna we're gonna bring this vet in and like, <laughs> yeah, you know. So. I mean, that's what's tough about this industry, right? It's like you can't get a series regular because you haven't had a series regular. You can't get a co-star because you haven't had a like. Yeah, it's such a catch twenty-two. Had a sag exactly, job. Like, it's yeah. so infuriating. It's like there's gates that are kept but not, and yeah. so when people take a chance on you, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, Carl. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Thank you got a me. you got a tail slate now at the end. Tail here. slate. All right. Carl Tart, six foot two and a half, based out of Los Angeles. Two and a half. <laughs> oh yeah, come on, man. Give me my half. Give me my hat. But I'm on the Stairmaster. 